welcome to the 80th episode of the Real Life Diabetes Podcast with today's guest, whose T1D-focused YouTube series recently became viral, Levi Davenport. If you're new to the show, welcome, and thanks for stopping by. My name is Amber Kluwer, and I'm the co-founder of the Diabetes Daily Grind and host of this, the Real Life Diabetes Podcast. I enjoy sharing my story and those of other people living their best life with this disease. After seeing Levi's If Blood Sugar Could Talk series, I knew he would be the perfect guest. (laughs) His dry wit and ability to make light of what living with this disease is like had me laughing and saying, man, this guy gets it. And he did a fabulous job of piecing it all together, which he, he shares here in the podcast. But before we get started, I have a few quick announcements. This episode was brought to you by Presento, a leading specialty clinical research organization exclusively focused on NASH, diabetes, obesity, and related metabolic diseases. It's a mouthful. They're going to do a much better job of sharing what they do, so check out this quick message from them. Type 1 diabetes care shouldn't be a shot in the dark. Find out how to get involved in a research study evaluating a trial insulin treatment. Participants see a physician at no cost and compensation up to $10,700 is available. Learn more today. You can learn more about Presento on the DDG homepage or in the show notes. Number two, Oklahoma Diapeeps. Mark your calendars for a day of hardcore advocacy on May 12th at the state capitol. I'll have more details coming soon, and you can always stay up to date by signing up for the e-newsletter on the DDG website. Number three, as of January 2020, the Diabetes Daily Grind is officially transitioning to a 501c3 nonprofit charitable organization. This has been a long time coming, and I feel confident it's the best opportunity to reach a larger diabetes audience while partnering with reputable organizations. Man, I love working as a team. Number four, this year I launched the Real Life Diabetes mini podcast series, which is dedicated to offering a one-stop shop of brands, organizations, and services who share my mission to provide real support and resources for all people living with diabetes. You can check out the third episode at diabetesdailygrind.com or on any podcast platform. I love interviewing these people because there's so much stuff out there. It's hard to keep up. And so the 20 to 25 minute episode hopefully will uh, enlighten you on something new in the diabetes world. Number five, don't forget to love, like, share, and comment on all of the DDG social media platforms. And you, as I always say, could make my day, make me shed a tear by leaving me an iTunes review. I really appreciate them. Well, enough rambling. Let's get started. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Where are you calling in from? Nashville, Tennessee. Nashville? Are you from there? Yeah, well, not originally, but we live just outside of Nashville and have for, for I guess, coming up on 20 years now. Okay. Well, um, so I am so excited to have you as a guest, and Levi was kind enough to 
allow me to kind of stalk him. And um, Penelope got in contact with him because I came across a couple of his videos. And I was like, dude, this guy totally speaks the language and has put humor in it, um, which I think really resonates with, with all of us living with type 1. So Levi, let's get started with tell us a little bit about your diagnosis story. Well, um, I was 16 years old, so I'd made it a significant portion of the way through life without it. And I got a stomach virus that was, um, I think saying it was a severe 24-hour bug would be an understatement. I got, I got pretty sick and ill. But then even after the stomach bug went away, over the next 10 days, I had what I later came to learn were, you know, the signs of DKA and become a diabetic. I was insatiably thirsty and I lost um, 12 pounds in 10 days. Jesus. Uh, none of us knew what was going on. So my mother, I can remember complaining about how thirsty I was and she kept making these fruit smoothies in the summertime. So I was just pounding sugar water this whole time. <laughs> <laughs> so it made things escalate faster than they probably would have. <laughs> so did you end up having to spend, went, okay, so you went to the hospital. How did they determine and how did that go down? We went to our, our pediatrician first and I'm, I'm foggy on a lot of this because it was happening to me. So I don't remember some <laughs> of the details, but I think by the time I went to the doctor, my parents had a suspicion because we know someone else whose child had become a diabetic. Mm-hmm. And so we went down there and the doctor did whatever test they do. I'm assuming he just checked my blood sugar and it was a million. <laughs> and uh, at that point, you're correct. They let me go pack a bag and we went to the hospital. I spent a couple weeks there where they kind of got me back on my feet. Right. And you, you're, you were an athlete, you were, you're an athlete too, right? That's correct. Yes. Okay. So <clears throat> you get the diagnosis they send you home. Um, did you just start with injections? How, what, 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 what did they send you home with? From the time I left the hospital, it was injections with drawing it up out of a vial. I didn't have a, a, a quick draw pen or anything. Right. And we'd begin, we'd, living in the Nashville area, they, we began going to Vanderbilt, who had a great program for you know, teaching people how to be a diabetic. And so we learned how to count carbs and um, Anybody listening knows the drill. We kind of went through that whole thing. And then somewhere along there, within weeks of that, I was introduced to the the quick pin where you would, it was a metal cylinder that you'd slide a vial into. You oh, yeah. keep that in your pocket, which was, which was great because I lost it all the time. <laughs> right. Okay. So you're now 16. You have type 1 diabetes. You go back to, I'm going to say, your normal life. Um, did anything change right off the that um i mean i only asked that because at 16 like you said you knew what life was like before and did you you know was there any transition parts or with your friends or with being an athlete that were a little bit challenging there in the beginning yes i think i think maybe perhaps some of what has caused these youtube channels to resonate is because i had so much trouble with it up front and it, I, I com- went kind of completely into a denial phase. Once within weeks of getting back to school, I don't want to talk about it to anybody, not my teammates, not teachers, uh, girls I was interested in. I told nobody about it. And so I would just step into the bathroom, hammer out an injection and go back to what I was doing and just rarely check. Right. And so it, it was not a great start, but yeah, I pretty much, my, my, uh, my plan of action was to just not disclose it to anyone. 
But at that time too, and I can understand because I, I mean, when I was diagnosed, I gave a shot in the morning and then a shot before dinner. So I really, you know, at, as a kid, I wasn't around a lot of other people at that time. So I wasn't having to take my insulin to school or anything like that. But you, you were compliant and I don't like that word, but so you didn't give up on giving injections or anything like that. You just hid it from the public. Yeah, it was a lot like, um, if I was driving a car, I was either stomping on the gas or slamming on the brakes. There was no in between. Right. I was either skyrocketing or plummeting. And because I just, you know, I didn't check my blood sugar. I was given insulin, but I never really checked. Right. <laughs> now that you're older and you look back in those years, cause I mean, we've all been there. You are like, what in God's name was I doing? Because that is so scary. <laughs> yeah. Um, especially from an athlete standpoint, you know, when you're, 16, 17, 18, a big reason of why I was trying to hide it is because I was, you know, being looked at for scholarships. And I, in my mind, diabetes was this just big weakness that I didn't want anybody to know about because they wouldn't be interested in me if they knew I had diabetes. So that was part of why I was always trying to hide it. Yeah. And it impacts the way you play, especially you look back, like you did like back and like, oh, what a moron. If I had managed my blood sugar better, I'd have been even better than however good I was. Isn't it crazy how, and, and I'm sure at that age, you weren't putting those pieces together that not feeling well and, um, mess with your performance. I mean, were you putting those pieces together? No, it was, um, you know, the only reason I would make adjustments is if I could feel my blood sugar crashing, which fortunately I was pretty sensitive to, if I got under 90, yeah. you know, I felt like I was going to fall on the floor yep. or when my blood sugar got so high that my eyeballs were puffy and my, uh, <laughs> And I was dehydrated and every muscle in my body was cramping while I was out there trying to pitch, which is, of course, man, I was way, way up there. Right. So, but you did end up playing. Um, so you, you get out of high school and did you play mm -hmm. baseball after that? Yes. So in, I went on to college and I got really in, not only to my sport, but really into fitness. And then I couldn't get any results without at least putting some more effort into managing my diabetes. So I wasn't, I was a step better, but I was still terrible. I, I, the best I ever got in college was I could manage my blood sugar on the day I had to pitch. And then okay. the rest of the time I was just all over the place. Wow. Wow. So um, how long did you end up playing baseball? Um, 21 or 22. Somewhere okay. right on there. So, so I, 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 go ahead. No, excuse me. Go ahead. Well, um, so we, I always pick parents. I'm going to be careful how I word this. How did you, how was your college? How are your college years with diabetes? Were you in a fraternity? No, no. It was uh, my, my uh, people I hung around were all baseball players. And nearly 24 hours a day, they, they kept you on a tight leash. You ate with them, you ate breakfast with them, you went to class with them, you went to practice with them, you went to study hall, and then you all lived in the same area. Okay. So and I didn't go to college locally. I was long distance. Right. So you weren't out so that, at the frat parties and doing, yep. I would say, somewhat typical things for someone in that age bracket. <laughs> no, no, baseball was helpful with that. Um, yeah. You had a little, little more focus on my uh, talent. There's kind of a realization there that I would be able to play at a professional level if I handled things correctly. So I had the desire and ambition to get to that point. Um, but, but to your, to your question, it was, 
a unique relationship with my parents because for the last part of high school, those junior and senior years, I didn't want to talk about it with them. If yeah. they ever asked how it was going, my answer was always fine. And I think it kind of reached a head where they didn't want to press too hard to drive me even further into you know, not taking care of it. So they gave me in college, I pretty much had all the space in the world. Right. And uh, it turned out being a good decision on their part. And with my personality, it, it <laughs> finally made me start to handle it myself. Right. Okay. So you make it through college. Um, and what happens from there? Do you jump into a professional career? Do you get married? That's horrible. I shouldn't even ask those things, but tell me where, where you are today and how you got there. Sure. So once baseball wrapped up, um, I began working and, and working in sales and marketing and, and I've been blessed to have a very successful career in those arenas. But during at the beginning there, I met my wife and, um, and that gave me confidence too, because even as a diabetic, I had that stigma, even though I was six foot five and I could lift a ton of weight and I could throw the ball really hard. I still felt insecure about the fact that I had diabetes and, I, the woman I dated and got and married was way out of my league. So that was, I felt really good about that. That was one of the first times I started to feel more confident. Little did she know what she was getting into, but <laughs> so we got married and, um, very shortly after we having, we had two children under the age of two years old. Ooh. And, uh, at that point, at that point, obviously you have all that going on at home, but in my career, it was a pressure cooker. I was having a a streak of a lot of success, but it was a lot of hours an insane amount of hours. And I began, I relapsed bad and wasn't taking care of my diabetes and my, my weight dropped from on my frame was what was a healthy in shape two thirty five all the way down to at the lowest was 188 pounds. Wow. And so I began to kind of wither away and, uh, felt, Go ahead, go ahead. Well, I want to ask, because you had hit, hidden having diabetes for most of your life, how did you finally have the courage to tell her? And how did that conversation go down, if you recall? She knew from the beginning, but uh, obviously I uh, sugar-coated it hard. <laughs> like it wasn't <laughs> that big of a deal. Hey, I've got type 1 diabetes, uh, but, you know, I've got to handle it, and that's why I still have it. But it wasn't, of course. So yeah, she kind of got sold a bill of goods that that was uh, not a big deal. But even once um, once it reared its head that it wasn't, she's always been very supportive. Well, that's good. Everybody hopes for that. <laughs> um, well, Agreed. and so you have two children. And that's correct. Did you have a family history at all of type 1? No, none. And so that was very uh, frustrating when we were all trying to learn about it because I can remember those first few years, everybody's coming up with all these cockamamie recipes and stuff, which, which really made me even more frustrated. I didn't want to be treated any different. Right. They were all in good light. I think my one of my grandmothers bought me sugar-free candy for Christmas for like 10 years in a row. <laughs> and I didn't want sugar-free candy. <laughs> Let's just be honest. Sugar-free candy sucks. and It's the worst. It hurts your stomach. It's like it's, yeah. it's a laxative, depending on what you eat. Yep. I learned yep. the hard way in the early years. Um, I wouldn't oh, wish yeah. sugar-free candy on my worst enemy. <laughs> <laughs> I won't touch it. <laughs> well, I think that's sweet that your grandmother, I mean, I, I feel like my family did the same thing. 
there was like a kiosk in the mall that was of course like some chocolate company and my mom's like amber you have sugar-free white chocolate get as much as you want i'm like woo yeah not good but um, that tears you up (laughs) but it's nice and i'm glad that your family i mean i don't have a family history of it either and so this was totally new territory for us and my parents my sisters now that i'm older have revealed they were frustrated only in the fact that my parents removed all sugar from the house so we didn't have sugary cereals laying around or candy and things like that i think in the very beginning but and that slowly trickled back in but yeah, it, it, diabetes affects everybody. So, <laughs> so okay. Yeah. With your career, you travel a lot. Um, I do now, yes. Tell me about, because it's crazy to see on like um, social media platforms, somebody's scared to fly by themselves. And I'm like, what? Why wouldn't you fly by yourself? So do you, I mean, you obviously feel confident traveling. Um, any travel tips that you have for people with diabetes? You know, um, I try to always preface a lot of my videos by saying I am not a, an expert and I don't do everything the right way, but right. So I'll, so take everything I say with a grain of salt. But <laughs> when I first began traveling, you know, I read on all the groups and I go, oh, tell them you want to be pat down. You don't want to go through the machine. And that's just, to me, was a been a nightmare. Every time I would at the security checkpoint say, you know, I, I prefer not to go through the machine and do a pat down. It's just an invite for an incredible amount of scrutiny. And, uh, it draws a lot of attention. And finally, I just said that I, that's not worth. So I've been now just going through the machine with my stuff. Maybe you shouldn't, <laughs> but it gets me through that quicker. And they just have me rub, rub my fingers over the equipment and, you know, test it for explosives. And then I'm on, you know, I want, I'm, so. I'm with you on that. Um, I, I remember the first time that I opted out, it was right when I got on my, got my Dexcom and I cried. I was like, I'm so embarrassed to get up here yes. and have to say that I have to opt out. And, and I got, and I travel often now and I feel like it's one of those situations and I always opt out because I can't, I do not want to risk my CGM going down, especially while I'm traveling. Um, but I feel like it's for me, what I've turned it into is an opportunity to educate. And when somebody, uh, when I explained to them, I'm like, okay, I have a medical device attached to my arm and, it, you're not going to hurt me and all these things and the questions that come from that. So I think it's one of those bittersweet situations that I just plan to be there a little bit earlier and just remember that I, I don't know, try not to be ashamed, I guess. I don't know. Um, but you have make you a, ever, you make a couple of good points. Yeah. I mean, it's, well, I just got back from St. Louis and when I was flying out of Oklahoma city, I had a Libre on one arm and a Dexcom on the other arm. And just the two women that were, one was Native American and one was African American. And in talking to them and showing them, one woman had type 2 diabetes and was struggling with the fact that she had just been prescribed insulin. And then the other woman was pre-diabetic and they were just fascinated. And it, it opened up a really random conversation and they shed tears at the end of it. But um, I don't know, it just... I don't know, it kind of opened some doors for them and for me, I guess. I don't know. So, that's, yeah. That's extremely interesting. From a traveling standpoint, you asked me for tips. The only thing that came yeah. to mind were to always be sure to pack everything that's related to your diabetes in the bag you're carrying on the plane with you. I would yes. never put anything in the bag that's getting checked because you that's, that's outside of your control. It could get lost, and then you've got a disaster. Always you, keep bringing your stuff in your carry-on. Okay, so let's talk and about then the, 
Go ahead. Sure. Um, I come from a world that believes in redundancy. So I make sure if I'm leaving for two days, I've probably got enough for 10 days. Okay. Um, I'll, if it's an insulin pump, you know, I've got two loaded up cartridges already filled with insulin, ready to go. And I've got enough, you know, um, infusion sets to last three times the amount of time I'm going to go wherever I go. Sure. Now that may be excessive, but I'd rather be, I'd rather have it, not need it than need it, not have it. Right. Um, the other equipment, as far as the CGM goes, I, I, I don't actually, I just make sure that sucker's on there good before I leave. <laughs> right. I'm with you on that. And I usually know where my transmitter, like the timeline, if I'm going to be okay on that too. I don't think I've ever exactly. traveled with an extra transmitter. Um, right. I usually take a sensor just in case something gets wonky, but yeah. So are you, if, if you can share, are you, uh, what CGM are you using? I use the Dexcom G6 paired with the tandem insulin pump. Oh, okay. And what made you tap into technology? Uh, well, you're kind of picking back up on that moment in my career where I lost all that weight. Yeah. Um, I'm not a, not a very fidgety person, but it, over a period of three or four weeks, my wife kept asking me to be still when we were falling asleep. My legs were all over the place. And I finally realized I'm moving them because they're tingling. And that absolutely put panic through every bone in my body. Right. Because the first time I didn't feel invincible and it clicked that I am shaving years off the end of my life by not taking care of this now. And I was very fortunate to be in a place where I could go stroke a check for whatever the best I could find was. So I did research and went and what I landed on was the tandem insulin pump and the Dexcom G6. And I went that same week and bought a smartwatch and linked it up. I had over, I went from nothing to everything overnight. Was it overwhelming? Uh, in, no, it, it was overwhelming in a positive way. I couldn't believe it. My mind was blown. I went from, I mean, I, the week before I got the insulin pump, I may check my blood sugar once. I mean, I was in a terrible way. I went in the, the day they hooked me up with the insulin pump for the first time. It was snowing. I remember that. And I remember I weighed 188 pounds. And six months later, I had put on, I think it was 38 pounds <clears throat> in a good way. So well, and did you I feel- needed it. Did you feel like crap? Oh, yes. Yeah, I was a grump. My relationships with friends, family, my wife was terrible. I was just always in a bad mood. And I didn't feel it. I required an insane amount of caffeine in the morning just to smile at somebody. And to some extent, I still do. <laughs> but it was bad then. And uh, I didn't really come on. My brain didn't feel turned on until lunchtime because I'd wake up and just hammer a bunch of insulin do a shot, not really knowing, You're just trying to get it back down into where I didn't feel like I was dying. And it, that was just my day. It was just, it was just managing a, a damage control all day. And then all of a sudden I went to, I know exactly what my blood sugar is. And now that I have the data, I started accounting for it. And it, man, it was overnight. I felt better. I slept better. My sleep quality was a lot better. Right. Um, well, my relationships were better. All of it. One of the things I realized when I tapped into a CGM was, and my, I mean, I, I was talking about this today in an earlier meeting is you, you think you're doing everything right, you know, when, and you're, I, I was testing my blood sugar, you know, four to six times a day and whatnot, but I, I didn't know the trends. And so I didn't know that coffee would sometimes jack up my blood sugar or when I'm lifting weights versus doing cardio. And so once you got tapped into technology, did you, was there any like aha moments like, 
you could see something, the trend? Yes, that was, and uh, I've spoken on that before, I think. That, that's the most valuable part about having it. It wasn't knowing what your blood sugar was. You could check your blood sugar and know what your blood sugar was. It was the trend. Is it, is it going up? Is it going down? It, it, I've referenced before that it's a lot like the stock market. And if I only told you what the stock was valued at right then, right. You, you know how much it's worth, but you don't know how to make a decision based on it. Is it time to sell? Is it time to buy? Is it, right. is it plummeting or is it skyrocketing? That was the same thing with my blood sugar. Now, all of a sudden, I realized, oh, I thought I was given the appropriate amount of insulin for this food, but I am skyrocketing. Clearly, I wasn't. Or some foods are trickier and you give the insulin and I always seem to go low 20 minutes later and it's because that food was more complex carbohydrates and it was in a different place on the glycemic index. So it didn't spike me till later. I just, like right. you said, it was just so much information. <laughs> it's, it's a little overwhelming, but like you said, in the best way, because I, it, it allowed me to plan a little bit differently and think about things differently. So, um, uh, the reason I'm having you on the show is obviously because you have created this YouTube channel. It's called Between Two Lines. And tell me why you decided to start it. Well, I think it was once everything settled back down and a, about a year went by and I was just a new man. Uh, people in my life, multiple different people said, man, you need to figure out a way to share that because if it did that for you, it they do something for other people. And I sat on the idea for about a year and a half um, because as you've heard me talk about my, where I spent previously with diabetes, the last thing I wanted was to advertise. I mean, even, even a year ago, even six months ago, I'd say 90% of the people in my life had no idea I was a diabetic. Right. And so that's what held me back. I didn't want to be so vulnerable, but somehow somewhere the decision was made. This was two months ago to, to make a video. And the goal, what I wanted to do um, was to take that, take that program or that YouTube channel and figure out how to inform others that, hey, this is not a death sentence. You know, right. it, it may feel like it's not a death sentence. You can return to a version of, of your normal life. It's a little bit raw. The whole, I mean, the whole channel is a little bit raw. I don't always say things in, in the best way. But um, it's informative, and I'm trying to talk about the hard parts of type 1 diabetes without it creating a pity party, you know, have a positive spin on it. And well, uh, I, what I didn't expect was how much other people would relate to it. Well, and that's one of the reasons I we stalked you so quickly is because, I mean, the reason I started the blog and the podcast is I wanted to share real-life diabetes. And when you sugarcoat it and all these other things, I feel like it's almost a disservice to other people living with type 1 diabetes in particular. And I like, I love the fact that, and maybe our personalities are similar, that I'm, I'm kind of cynical and whatever, but the way that that two-part series, and I please tell me the name of it, but what, uh, what your blood sugar could talk or something. <clears throat> because it is hilarious, and it is so everything that we go through. <laughs> So talk a little bit about how, and I'm saying to people, and I, you have to watch this because it's just hilarious. I mean, it's hilarious and upsetting <laughs> at the same time. Yeah, I know. Well, I appreciate you saying that. It's called If Blood Sugar Could Talk. If you haven't seen it, you can look it up or Google it. But it, um, that, <laughs> there's a lot to talk about about that video. Because up until then, they've just been me you know, being a little more serious, just talking to the camera. 
and I felt like there was value in that. And it, yeah. and, uh, but then the decision was made. Um, it was a high, I felt like it was extremely high risk was, Hey, I'm going to try to be funny with this. <laughs> and you talk about being vulnerable. Now you're exposing yourself to ridicule. Cause it was like, man, what if it's not funny? If people <laughs> do not think it's funny, I could just burst into flame. This is not good. <laughs> so it, I, I went through it and had other people watch it and see, Hey, do you, do you think this is funny? <laughs> and so finally I, I pressed the button and put it out there. And I think it was a Monday and it exploded. I couldn't <laughs> believe it. It absolutely exploded. <laughs> so tell me how you came up with some of the scenarios. Well, everybody relates to them because everybody has them. Yeah. It wasn't too difficult to come up with the scenarios. It was more just the stuff when the things that just happen all the time where I'm just like, Oh my goodness, I'm going to lose my mind. Those are the moments when it's just always, because there's nothing worse than being almost asleep and realizing your blood is low or, uh, you know, what or misgaging or having, or have, you go all out on pizza and it just hijacks the rest of your day. Those are the times when it was easy to find some material. And, uh, and it was difficult to make, just making the videos was, was really hard. I was going to say like, I, do you have anybody that helps you with that? Or are you editing everything yourself? No, no. Yeah. It was, um, I have, I did the whole thing with my iPhone on a tripod. <laughs> and so I would set up the tripod and just, you know, be one part of the thing and say all the lines. And then I change clothes and go move the camera and do all the other lines and then have to edit them all together. But I, there was the scene where I'm in my garage yep. or my shop out back. I could hear my neighbors and I know that they think I'm insane. Because just listening to me talk to thin air. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh my gosh, I'm sure their neighborhood, uh, they, they, you're like the standing joke, maybe. He's going crazy. Yeah, He's in a talking to himself again. Yeah. Well, uh, it, yeah. that one in particular was funny as hell. And the pizza, yeah, you're like seriously fighting with the pizza box and the, I mean, and yourself. And, and I think it's the way that you articulate it. It's like, when the, the blood sugar comes in and, and chats, it's like, it's, I mean, I, I, that's exactly how I will envision. I mean, I would have envisioned it. Um, like, dude, you're high or whatever. I mean, it was just, anywho, funny as hell. Do you have more of those <laughs> coming down the pipeline? Yes, I will. I, I, I didn't, I've made a couple of those and then I've gotten a lot of great material from the watch. I mean, they, those people all came alive at an extremely high percentage the people that watched the videos commented or sent emails or on Facebook made comments. And I, there's so many other great ideas out there that I've got enough to do more of those. And the <laughs> one this weekend. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The one I'm doing this weekend is a little different. It's going to be about being married to a diabetic or in a relationship with a diabetic. Cause it, there's so many wild, funny things that are super annoying that happens in those relationships that they put up with. Give, give me an example of one, a little spoil, uh, a little teaser. Oh man. Um, I've never been married. Yeah. That's okay. Well, you'll, you'll, I think you'll be able to relate regardless, but like when, um, before I was on an insulin pump and I had the insulin pen, it was like once a week we'd be in the car and I'd be like, Oh, forgot my insulin pen. (laughs) And it just, and and then it became a more annoying thing. The more often it happened where it would just, we'd be somewhere ridiculous and I'd rather I didn't have my insulin pen. And then they should always be patient. But I'm so I'll try to take a situation like that and inject a little bit of humor into it. 
So you, <coughs> your wife has obviously been very supportive of this. What about your What about your kiddos? Well, my son, my daughter is the older one. She is four, and my son's two. Mm-hmm. So it was. It's only really been the last six months that they realized something's different about dad. You know, we never have had the conversation. They're too little. It would just create yeah. too much confusion right now. But uh, but if I'm wearing the pump, they know it's giving me medicine. Uh, that's all. That's as far as I've taken it with them. Right. And then uh, if I'm if I'm not taking a break from the pump, you know, they'll see me give the shot, and they understand that it's medicine that makes you know dad feel better. But that's about as I mean, they're so young that they can't comprehend much more than that. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Gosh. Okay. Well, and with not having a family history, are you nervous at all that maybe one of your children might be diagnosed with type one? <laughs> uh, so my wife will listen to this. So I have to tailor my answers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but my wife is extremely concerned about it. I would say on a scale of one to ten, I'm at about a three to four. Right. Um, and my hope is that because it was a freak thing and I don't have any family history of it, and this may be me being a fool, but I'm clinging to the hope that it's almost more like an injury to where right. this virus attacked my pancreas and it's not necessarily going to be um, children that are genetically predisposed to having diabetes, but I may be way off. But I, I don't feel like I can make anything better or worse by worrying about it. So right. we're going to go full steam ahead and deal with it if it happens. Well, and I think it's one of those things too, when I've interviewed other adults with type one that have children, you know, you just look for the signs, you know what it is now. And, um, you know, and I do like the fact and I, that all this evidence is now coming out that it's not just a, oh, a genetic, you know, because I, like I said, no, no one in my family and I was really sick as a kid I had pneumonia a couple of times. I was on a ton of antibiotics. So I kind of feel like you and that it was an injury to my gut. And, um, and that's how things rolled out. But yeah. Well, yeah. And now granted people out there with children, I, I would say I don't ignore the fact that I have it with how we raise them. We do, we do put a lot of effort into not loading them up with sugar. Cause we yeah. don't know, maybe they are predisposed to it. So they eat very healthy, um, I'm not, they do get treats. I'm, I'm not the dad who doesn't let them have anything sweet, but we just try to make sure we're making healthy decisions the majority of the time. Um, well, so hopefully not, we'll everybody needs to be doing that. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. No kidding. Especially with the kid, the kiddos. Yeah. So is there anything else you think that you will do as, I mean, you're kind of, would you call yourself an advocate? I have been doing this for about eight weeks. So my head's still kind of spinning <laughs> on my shoulders. I don't even know what's going on. I, I can't explain it. Just when I made that video, I, there's hundreds of emails sitting in the email, the, the two lines at gmail.com. And I've been contacted by every major foundation and, and different companies that make medical equipment. And I, so I don't know what I am. I don't know what the future is going to hold, but it did enough to make me realize that, you know, this is something I need to continue. I, I made the videos thinking really small and light and just kind of threw them together. But now I kind of realize there's, there's thousands, there's tens of thousands of people out there that were looking for something like this. It, I mean, that is blood sugar could talk. It'll hit a hundred thousand views before the month's over. That's crazy. And, uh, 
and all the comments that everyone put were all so supportive and encouraging. And I mean, there's a bunch of kind words and motivation. And, and I kind of respond, if you look at the theme of my responses, it's always, you know, I'm grateful. And I respond that it's, I find it encouraging too, but on a, on a more real personal level that I hadn't shared, it is extremely encouraging. It's now motivated me to learn more about it because now I realize people are looking at these videos to be informed. So I've got to be informed and yeah, and it's, it's been a, a neat thing. It's, it's, it's crazy. I don't know if that's the answer you were looking for, but no, no, that's, that's <laughs> exactly. I mean, I think, and what I have found, you know, I've said this, I was a keynote speaker at a, an event recently 500 plus parents and kiddos there, all affected by type 1 diabetes, and never in a million years, and I said I, that I would be up here talking about this because I didn't talk about it as a kid. And it wasn't until I started the blog, and we, you know, Ryan and I kind of did that just to share our stories so that if a parent needed, or just to, you know, kind of as a how to guide, but ma- putting it, making it funny. And um, never thought anybody would read it. And then when the podcast kicked off and things grew so quickly, the comments and the things people want to hear about real life. And there's, I'm going to say sick of just taking advice from an endocrinologist or, you know, their GP. They want to talk to somebody who's walking the walk. And so I think by you sharing your story so candidly, that is what is, you know, what we all need right now. Well, I appreciate you saying that. I, I definitely think you're right because I'm that kind of guy too. You know, I'm, when I, I just want somebody to give it to me straight yeah. and I don't need all the fluff and I don't need you to build me a watch. I just need to know what time it is. And so that's kind of how I make these videos. I, I try not to make it seem all like it's rainbows and unicorns, but I'm also not going to be a Debbie Downer either. Yeah. Yeah. And so diabetes has not kept you from anything. You've traveled. Did you have you traveled internationally? Uh, for vacations, never for work, but okay. uh, it's about every other week I'm flying somewhere. Oh, I don't know how you do it, <laughs> especially with everything that's going on that's right it. now. Are you? I hate the fact that they have put out this mega fear for all of us, but then people that are at higher risk with diabetes, does that come to your mind at all? About yesterday was the first time. I'm, I've never been the guy who worried about getting – until I got diabetes, I, probably, I don't think I got sick maybe one time, two times. I never got sick. The moment I became a diabetic, I mean, if you even look at me wrong and you're sick, I've got it. So I get everything. If anybody at work is sick, I'm just like, okay, can't wait to have that tomorrow. Yeah. And with the corona thing, I, uh, I didn't – I'm just kind of point I don't care, whatever. But uh, now more and more people are wearing masks and more and more information is coming out and they're kind of fear driving. Am I um, freaking out about it? No, but it's definitely on my radar now to where I've, I'm doing the things that I can do, which is yeah. washing my hands more and steering clear of people that look like they're sick. <laughs> but I don't know that there's much. And I drink vitamin C every night now just as a precaution because I do. I travel a lot. Yeah. And uh, so I'm a, I'm a diabetic and I'm traveling. I, I have a lot going for me as far as for avoiding it so (laughs) i'm not but i'm not going to sit here and let it worry me all day i'm i don't have time for that yeah i I totally agree i totally agree flu season all the stuff it's just like i always do like you said stock up on the the good things put the good things in my body and that's all you can do so yeah somebody within about 20 minutes of where i live was a confirmed case last night and i was kind of like huh okay i guess (laughs) i should start taking it a little bit serious (laughs) 
<laughs> oh gosh. Yeah. I don't think that I met with some CDEs yesterday and we were talking about it and um, I don't believe there are any cases currently in confirmed cases in Oklahoma. So I'm, I'm keeping my fingers yeah, crossed. Good for one. you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. But I'm about to travel. So we'll see how that goes. <laughs> well, um, are there any, just, and I'll end with this, are there any comments or anything from your viewers that took you back a little? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, some of them made me kind of emotional. As, yeah. um, if you read through them, man, some of them, will, some of them will tear you up if you're the one who made the video. But it, a lot of them are just cool, man. Thanks a lot. Keep it coming. But, man, you'll see one come through that's like, you know, thank you so much for making this. I've kind of been going through a really hard time and this yeah. was uplifting or some, my favorite ones are the ones where it's like a 50 or 60 year old. I, I think this was on Facebook, but some lady or a guy said, I've been diabetic for 42 years and never once thought diabetic was funny. And I don't joke about it. It's not something to be joked about, but I laugh my butt off at this video. Keep up the great work. And that was like my favorite comment. Cause I was like, that's really cool to hear that again. I know it made him feel better. And that's, that's what I was trying to do. And then I get emailed. Some of the more personal ones get emailed instead of posted in there. Oh my goodness. The tear jokes. man. you'll be a guy talking about his daughter that got diagnosed when she was six and it was three years ago and they're having a horrible time. And this is the first video she's watched that make her laugh about it. And she feels like there's a light at the end of the tunnel. And I'm like, Oh man, I have to keep making them now. I know it's this weird pressure, but it's like, so if it, I always say that it puts fuel in my tank and <sighs> to take something that was devastating, maybe at some point in your life and put a positive spin on it for lack of a better term to inspire others or to put a smile on their face. I mean, hello. Yeah. We need more I, people like you. I don't know what the future will bring, but I, that's really something I've having a, you know, talk to my wife about a lot because I have a full career that I've had, I've had a successful career and I'm reaching the point where this is growing big enough where I'm like, Oh my goodness, I, I need that the day to be 30 hours long instead of 24. <laughs> so I'm kind of reaching that part. I'm like, okay, I've got to figure out what to do. And so she's running the social media. Like, you know, if, if the Twitter and Instagram, she's helping me, uh, I'll forward stuff to her and she'll post that and respond. Cause I don't have the time in the day. So I'm not sure what, <laughs> I'm going to do here soon as it keeps growing, but something I'll have to give. Cause I, I personally feel like this is a, a good calling and it's a good cause. And I, I wish I, I wish it had been available when I was 18 years old. Oh, me too. What a difference um, that would have made. I mean, yeah. Did you know anybody? Um, you said that there was another family that had a kid with type one. Did you growing up? Did you have a friend? <laughs> With diabetes. Did, I, did you say that I have friends that have diabetes? Yeah. No, uh, other than that guy. I'd, but you know, I was kind of a jerk about it because I was embarrassed of it. I didn't want to be friends with other diabetics. <laughs> I, there, I had friends that were diabetic that I didn't even tell I had diabetes. <laughs> I'm like, I don't even want to be lumped in the same group with them because they, that's just weak. I don't have time for that. They're always whining about it. They're always talking about their blood sugar is low and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> don't have time for that. So I would just move on. And, uh, and I was never rude to them, obviously, but I just, they, a lot of, if they didn't put on a strong persona about being diabetic, I wanted nothing to do with it. Right. And my buddy, that buddy of mine is one of the exceptions. I, I'm still friends with him to this day. Um, but I can remember 
at some point, my parents tried to introduce me to a girl that had diabetes um, in a romantic way. And I was like, nope, I'm out. I've got my own diabetes to deal with. <laughs> right. But now as an adult, I have hundreds of thousands of people on these groups and stuff that I see and read about. Man, if, if, if you're listening to this and you're not on a group, you're doing it wrong. Because it's unbelievable how much encouragement and information <clears throat> it, that is out there. Oh, that's so true. And I got to say, I just, and I mentioned this yesterday, I just joined one of the Facebook groups and I can't tell you exactly what it's called. I think it's T1, it's, it's like the word Tinder, but for type one. So it's a mm. set up so you can introduce yourself as um, a single person with diabetes. And um, so I jumped in there. A, I'm single. I, but I have no, this sounds horrible, but no desire to date anybody with diabetes. Like you said, I've, I got to deal with my own crap. But um, it's crazy <laughs> how many people have popped up from around the world. And it's just like, <laughs> it's bringing people together. And I, mean, I there were people that, it was somebody chimed in from Oklahoma City and they're like, anybody else from Oklahoma? And I'm, like 10 people popped up. And I'm like, I don't know any of these people and they live in my city. And I talk about diabetes every day for a living. So that was crazy to me. Yeah, so that, there's a lot out there. You should you're not kidding. They're back. everywhere. People will comment and be like, oh, I love your video. I live in your town as well. I'm like, what? And, then, <laughs> and there's so many experts that are actively responding. So if you've got, and I still don't do a good job of it. I'm more alert than anything. But if you're having a frustrating um part of your diabetes at a certain point you're struggling with, you can put that as a question on there and you'll get 50 comments back. And it may, it's unbelievable. You may have two months to your next appointment with the endocrinologist, but you can get extremely valuable information yes. by just joining one of those groups. <clears throat> yeah. I, like I said, I've learned more from people living with the disease than yeah. in any medical office. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. The life hacks. That was one of the things I used to do on the podcast because people were sharing stuff and I'm like, man, I've never thought of that that's incredible or it's going to save me, you know, X amount of dollar. I mean, it's just crazy. So, yeah. So I think that as we end the, the goal with this is find your community, whether that's your YouTube channel or the Facebook groups. Um, is, uh, there's power in numbers and I don't even like that term, but it's nice to know that you can lean on a community that gets it. <laughs> yeah. I 100% agree. If you, and if, if people out there haven't seen this, it's, the channel's called Between Two Lines. I'd love to have you watch one of them and leave a comment. I'd, you'd be surprised how closely I watch the comments to figure out what people want to see next. And, and you, most of the people who watch them actually dictate where the channel's going to go. Yeah, and we'll have show, I'll have uh, links to all of your social media and everything about you in the show notes for this show, too. So hopefully that'll help spread the okay. word and bring a little bit more love your way. Well, thank you. All right. Well, Levi, thank you so much for being on the show. And I will definitely continue to stay in contact with you because I want to see, see how things continue to evolve. <laughs> well, thanks a lot for having me. I really do appreciate it. All right. Well, safe travels. All right. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Levi was a ton of fun. And the fact that he went from never sharing his life with diabetes to a T1D YouTube superstar is incredible. <laughs> in this episode, we both shared how at times in our life we were ashamed or didn't want to draw attention to ourselves, which I know many of you can relate to. But I hope 
Our brief conversation helps change your tune. You are not alone, and there are plenty of people like us who are sharing the real life with diabetes. Thank you, Levi, for making us laugh by being raw and real. As I wrap up, I have a few last announcements. Number one, it is because of companies like Presento that advancements in insulin therapy are even possible. Please, take a moment to check them out on the DDG homepage. Number two, don't forget, we're always looking for solid partnerships and love getting creative, so hit us up if you have any ideas. The sky is the limit, as I always say, and we are down for just about anything, with the exception of maybe me riding a bull, eating beef, and running a marathon. Just going to throw those three out there. And if you want to reach the DDG marketing team, contact us at Penelope at DiabetesDailyGrind.com. Please continue to leave iTunes reviews and love, like, and share all things social media. I know I say this all the time, but I'm serious about it. And if you want to contact me directly, I can always be reached at Amber at DiabetesDailyGrind.com. And getting a message from you puts fuel in my tank to keep the episodes coming. And I need a lot of fuel because I'm about to hit the road. (laughs) More details coming soon on social media. I guess that's a wrap. Cheers to the highs and lows, everyone.